0: You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. Hey, wasn't that some great worship today? That was absolutely incredible. My gosh, they did such a great job. I was so thrilled to be part of worship today. Love the songs and love our worship team. They work so hard to, to, to lead us into the presence of the Lord. So good to see you. And uh, for many of us, first time in church without a mask and uh, seeing everybody's smiles. How about that? That's exciting, isn't it? I told somebody I was going to get veneers, you know, I was planning on getting veneers when the mask thing came off. I just wasn't even going to do that for my teeth. But now I'm thinking about it again, so who knows, you know. Hey, good to see everybody. Uh, we're excited about being here together. I want to say hello to our Femke Island campus. We're so glad that you are with us today. We love you guys. I love Pastor Jeremy and Reagan and uh, Brigida and Joel and everybody over there. We love you guys. Let's give our Femke Island campus a big hand. God bless you guys. And right now, Rehoboth Campus is meeting us well and online. So if you're joining us online, wherever you're joining us, we're so glad that you're part of this weekend service. We are in the second week of a series called Crazy Church People. Jeremy Ferruccio did a great job last week setting this up. He did a great job. We just love and appreciate Jeremy. Give Jeremy a big hand, would you? Just appreciate Jeremy Ferruccio. So this uh, series is about uh, 1 Corinthians. And uh, 1 Corinthians is a book in the New Testament. And so sometimes we like to just sort of like uh, settle down and just go through some books of the Bible. And that's what we're going to be doing, learning. And there's so many great things in 1 Corinthians. You're going to love it. And we call it Crazy Church People because in 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of problems. They had issues. Now, what's important for us to remember is this, uh, this book of 1 Corinthians was written to brand new Christians. They were about three years old in their faith uh, none of them were raised in a Christian family. They didn't know anything about Jesus. And so they were very immature and they had a lot of questions. So uh, that's why 1 Corinthians was written. It's a very important thing. Now one of the things to know about 1 Corinthians is they had, uh, they had conflict in the church. And there was a lot of conflict in the church they weren't getting along and so one of the reasons that Paul wrote to them was to help them to get along they were fussing and fighting and they were disagreements about stuff uh, there was disagreements about you know who the favorite their favorite preacher was there were disagreements about even they were giving each other lawsuits they were fighting against each other there was uh, in one case in first Corinthians chapter 11 uh, the rich people would come to church early for the Lord's Supper and they would have a big sumptuous feast and then the poor people would come and they didn't have any food and they were watching the poor people eat and so there were class divisions in the church so there were a lot of problems uh karen when uh, our boys were little uh, about uh, 11 12 years old she was going to the mall in salisbury one day and uh she stopped by at a convenience store and the boys were in the back seat and she told the boys before she she uh went into the convenience store she said no, don't you boys fight don't you fight Uh, because they would get into it every once in a while. They got along a lot, but uh, you know how kids are. And so she came back out of the convenience store, and she could see the car rocking, you know? And the, the windows were steamed up. And she opened the door, and their faces were blood red. They had just been going at it. And they, of course, denied it. they had not been fighting, but it was obvious that they had been fighting. And so that really upset Karen. And she rarely called me about a problem with the boys, but she called me on the phone and said, Danny, these boys are into it. And so when... Uh, she got home. Karen's deal was if there was negative energy in the boys, if they fought, she would make them run laps, run, run laps around the house to get the negative energy out. That was her solution. So we lived in Millsworth. So she made them run to Dover and back. I mean, she was like really upset. And they were fighting and fussing, and uh, it really, really grieved Karen's heart. And it grieved Paul's heart. He planted this church in Acts chapter 18. We're going to go back and look at that a little bit. But it grieved his heart that they weren't getting along, that they were fussing and fighting. And uh, here's what, how we know it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 11, Paul starts his letter out very early addressing the conflict in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 through 11, he says, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. Why is he saying that? Because they're not not agreeing. They're in disagreement about things. So that there may be no divisions among you. Why did he say no divisions? Because there were divisions. That there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Verse 11, my brothers, some from Chloe's household, that was a, a family from the church in Corinth, had uh, sailed across the Aegean Sea to where Paul was in Ephesus, and they told Paul what was going on. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that their quarrels among you, that there's quarrels among you. And uh, so there were these conflicts that were going on. It says in uh, Psalm 133, such a beautiful passage in Psalm 133, about how important unity is. God loves unity in The family of God. God loves unity in families. Unity is very, very important. Now, here's an interesting thing about 1 Corinthians. We're going to learn this about 1 Corinthians. Unity is not achieved by ignoring issues. Unity is not achieved by ignoring issues. Uh, Sometimes, you know, that's a very fragile and dysfunctional unity where you kind of push everything under the carpet and you don't really address anything and you just try to put a fake smile on. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul doesn't address the disunity that way. What he does is he brings the issues up and he brings wisdom to those issues. And it says in Psalm 133, "...how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity." It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on Aaron's beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down from the collar of his robes. It is as the dew of Hermon where we're falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. So that Old Testament passage talks about unity is pleasant, it's beautiful, it, unity is good. Now that, what that means is the word, un, uh, the word good there it's the same word that's used in uh, Genesis chapter 1, when God created things he said was good, when he created the sun and stars, it's good. It means that, that it's fulfilling its design purpose. God designed human beings to get along and have unity. God designed marriages to be filled with unity. And a very, very important thing here. So here's another thing. Jesus talked about unity, and he said that uh, the greatest evangelistic tool that we have in this world to influence this world is unity. Jesus said this in John thirteen thirty four through thirty five. A new commandment I give you: love one another. Everybody say, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is authentic Christianity? Authentic Christianity is mirrored and evidenced by loving other people. So where there's not love, there's not authentic Christianity. So Jesus says, I've loved you. You need to love each other. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Uh, Years ago, I was reading about Chuck Swindoll. He's a great preacher uh, on the radio. He has a program called Insight for Living. He pastors in Frisco, Texas now, great, uh, famous preacher. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary for a lot of years. And uh, Chuck Swindoll at uh, one time was telling about when he was growing up, his mom and dad were Christians, and uh, his sister Lucy was a Christian. She became a famous missionary, and all of his siblings were Christian. They had this wonderful Christian household, and, uh, and, and they were all musical as well. They had a big, upright piano in the living room, and one day they're all around the piano, and they're playing the piano, and they're singing, and they're laughing, and they're telling jokes, and they're having the best time just singing these songs to the Lord and then laughing in between the songs. And then they recognize, it was summertime, they recognize that the windows were up, and they were a little bit loud, so they thought, oh my gosh, this is going to uh, you know, be too loud for the neighbors. So they put the window down in the living room so it wouldn't be too loud for the neighbors. Uh, They went back to their singing and laughing, and it wasn't but a few minutes that the phone rang, and it was a neighbors, and the neighbors said, would you please put the window back up because we haven't heard such joy in a family in many, many years. How many know that unity is beautiful? Unity is incredibly beautiful. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, so in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the problem that they had with disunity. There was all this disunity, and Paul was addressing that and dealing with it. So disunity is not new. It, happens in, it happened in the local church. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, this is another church that Paul uh, established. He says in chapter 4, verse 2 of Philippians, I plead with Yeodah. And I plead with syndicate to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellows, help these women who have uh, contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So this really good people who had helped with Paul's ministry in Philippi, really, really good people were having trouble getting along, and so Paul addressed it. So he constantly, in his writings, addressed, addressed disunity. In Galatians, Paul addressed disunity. He says it pretty, uh, pretty bluntly in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So unity is a key theme in the book of 1 Corinthians. They were not getting along. They had issues. Paul didn't sweep the issues under the rug. He brought the issues up to the forefront. They dealt with the issues, and then unity was restored. Another thing that happens in the book of 1 Corinthians, real quickly, is that when he writes 1 Corinthians, he's answering specific questions, they have written him because they're new Christians. They live in a Greco-Roman world, and you think our world is like crazy and sensuous and filled with promiscuity. The Roman world and the Greco-Roman world that they lived in was filled with prostitutions. It was filled with uh, immorality. It was filled with uh, all kinds of sexual deviancy. It was filled with all kinds of things. And we think that you know, people long ago were really moral but uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and it was a very immoral society. And so they wrote to him questions about sex and marriage and different things. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 1, here's, here we get this. This is how we know he, they wrote him questions. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a, not, a man not to marry. And that's the, not the end of that story, but I'll talk about that more when we get there. Now for the matters you wrote about. So they had written him questions. So here's the deal. About uh, 1 Corinthians. What I want to talk about just for a few moments is where was Paul's head when he got to Corinth to start that church? Where was his head when he got to uh, Corinth to start that church? What had he gone through? And Jeremy did a good job setting this up last week. We know about this by what happened in the book of Acts. Acts chapter uh, 18 gives the report of how the church was formed. Now, um, Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 19 are about churches being born. Now if you understand what happens in Acts 13 through chapter 19 of Acts, uh, those are where the churches are established and then the rest of the New Testament is where Paul wrote to those churches. So that's how the New Testament fits together. Churches were formed in Acts 13 through 19 and then these very churches Paul wrote to like the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. How many ever heard the book of Ephesians? How many have ever heard of 1 Corinthians? So that was a church he started. Philippians is the church of Philippi. So he started these churches, and then he wrote to them to fix them. That's the whole New Testament. That's how the whole New Testament works. But if you read uh, in Acts, Acts 13 through uh, chapter 19, you see these churches being born, and these churches being born are they are it's it's a bloody, violent birth that takes place. There's there's riots. There's uh, stonings, that Paul is being beat. Uh, there's fighting, there's yelling, there's riots. I mean, these churches being born, it is a graphic, bloody process. And uh, I remember when Karen was pregnant with our first child, uh, Tim, uh, back when we lived in Pensacola, Florida in uh, 1980 when she was pregnant, we went to Lamaze class. Anybody ever go to Lamaze class? How many went to Lamaze when you were having, you, you were pregnant? I mean, we went to Lamaze class. Karen said, we're going to Lamaze class. So she put me in the car. We went to Lamaze class. So we went to Lamaze class. And, uh, you know, they teach you how to help your you know, wife breathe when she's going through her contractions and all that of course all that goes to pot in the middle of delivery you know she's yelling at you cussing at you throwing you I mean she's just like why did you do this to me it all goes to pot but anyhow you you do have something to work with there you know but uh we went to Lamaze class and they were teaching us about how to you know help each other and for me to help her basically and all that and how to rub her back and how to help her breathe and and then one night they showed movies do you remember the Lamaze movies those horror flicks they show you I mean, to tell you, they turned the lights down. They showed us live births, everything that could go wrong, forceps. I mean, it was. I was like, whoa. I mean, it just scared me to death. I came home, fell on my knees. Thank God I was a male. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Karen said, what have we done? Well, the book of Acts, chapter 13 through 19, it's the Ma's movies. That's what it is. It's churches being born, and the churches are, it's a bloody process. And here's what Paul goes through. For instance, when he goes to Philippi, he goes to Philippi, he's thrown in jail in Philippi. Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 22 through 24, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And then verse 23, and they had been... after they had been severely flogged they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully upon receiving such orders he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks so that's the first city he goes to he's beaten not beaten he's beaten severely He's beaten severely. He's thrown into prison with Silas. His back is bleeding. His feet are in stocks. You know, can you imagine his feet are in stocks and his back has been lashed with the whip and he can't get comfortable? And of course, the rest of chapter 16 says he begins to worship the Lord and God does a miracle in Philippi. So he gets out of of jail. Then he goes to Thessalonica. That's the next town on his missionary journey before he gets to Corinth. The next Town he goes to. It says in verse uh, 5 of Acts 17, but the Jews were jealous and they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. And then they dragged Jason and some of the brothers, official shouting. And then, the verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd and the cities were thrown in turmoil. So the second city, first city, he's thrown into jail, he's beaten. Second city, Thessalonica, There's a riot. There's a riot. Let me say this to you. Non-controversial people will never change the world. Paul was controversial. Wherever he went, there were riots, there were uh, beatings, and there was chaos in every city he went to. And let me just say this to you. Only controversial people will change this world. Thank God for people that are willing to be controversial. The problem with the American church, the problem with the modern church, is that we don't want to make any waves. We don't want to upset anybody. We want to be like the world. We want to talk like the world, look like the world. We want to agree with the values of the world. And because we are afraid to be controversial, we are irrelevant to our culture. So we have to be... We have to be willing to speak the truth in love people wonder about Bashar, where we stand on a lot of things. We stand on what the Bible says, what Jesus said in the scriptures. We believe in the Bible being uh, authoritative for for our times. We believe the Bible is authoritative for how we live our lives. And so if we are going to be a relevant church, we'll have to be a controversial church that embraces the Bible in these changing times. And I just want to tell you that I would rather be controversial and change the world than be non-controversial and not change the world because only controversial people change the world, can you say a big amen? So amen. So be willing to make ways. All my millennial my millennial pastor friends, I was just up in New York uh, New York, uh, uh, speaking at a college of new ministers that are starting, and let me just say to the ministerial, these young millenniums, be, be willing to make some ways, be willing to stand with scripture, because if you stand with scripture, you're going to be controversial, but only controversial people change the world. Now, I was thinking about people that are controversial. And uh, I was thinking about, how about this, Abraham Lincoln. Aren't you glad Abraham Lincoln was controversial when he signed the Emancipation of Proclamation in January 1st, 1863? Here's what Lincoln said. I never in my life felt more certain than I was than I was doing right than I do in signing this paper. Let me start that again. I never in my life felt more certain that I was doing right than I do in signing this paper. And if my name ever goes into history, it will be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. Abraham Lincoln, January 1st, 1863. He was willing to make waves, and because he was willing to make waves, he changed the world. How about Martin Luther, the great reformer in uh, 1517 who nailed the 95 Theses on the wall of the Church of Wittenberg, Germany, and he challenged the Catholic Church to all the traditions that they had that were non-scriptural, and he caused a riot. In fact, what happened to Luther is that Luther had to be hidden by Frederick Elector, his patron that was watching over him, had to be hidden, Luther had to be hidden in a castle for one year because his life was under threat. And while he was in that castle, uh, the Wartburg Castle, for a year, he translated the Bible into German. Say this with me, only controversial people change the world one more time only Only. controversial church on only controversial people change the world how many are willing to be controversial and make some waves and to speak the truth of love will you say a big amen with me this morning we need that our culture needs churches that will be relevant and we think to be relevant is to be non-confrontational and the exact opposite is true in order to be relevant, we have to be controversial. So, important thing for us to think about. Uh, so, Paul, he uh, went from Philippi. He went to Thessalonica, riot there. They went to Berea. There was a problem in De Berea. That was the next place he went. And so, finally, he, re- he ends up in Athens. And Athens is this uh, city that is full of idols. It's a, uh, and, and what happens in Athens, here's, here's the thing. This is what happens right before Paul gets to Corinth. Right before he gets to Corinth, the last city on the stop is Athens. And he's preaching on Mars Hill in front of the Parthenon. And I think we have a picture of the Parthenon. The Parthenon, if you've ever been to Athens, what you cannot escape is how big the Parthenon is. It's huge. Mars Hill is right in front of the Parthenon. And I stood on Mars Hill and the Parthenon behind me. And I got a feel for what Paul felt that day. It was a city full of idols, and he was bold enough to preach the gospel. But in this city, they didn't beat him. They didn't throw him in jail. They just made fun of him. They said, what does this little babbler have to say? And the word babbler in Acts 17 is the word seed picker. He's like a little bird that picks up little ideas, and they didn't take Paul seriously. And it says in uh, Acts chapter 17... Uh, here's what it says, the result of his ministry. Acts 17, uh, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that point, Paul uh, and the others said, we want to hear you on the subject. At, at that point, Paul left the council. Verse 34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, the member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, here's the thing. A few people believed. He didn't have a lot of success there. A few people believed. The last stop before Corinth is Athens, where it looked like Paul failed. Listen to this. Athens is the only city that Paul ever visited that he didn't plant a church. He never planted a church there. He couldn't get a church going. I I remember hearing about Mark Batterson, who uh, is in Washington, D.C. Mark Batterson has the... uh, North. uh, a National Community Church. Mark Batterson uh, graduated from uh, seminary 1995. He had a plan to start a church in, uh, in Chicago, and he went to Chicago. That's where he was from. He was from Naperville, Chicago, and he and his wife were from there, and they wanted to plant a church. And they had this idea to plant a church in Chicago. And they got some people together. They opened a bank account. They had a name. He had a 25-year plan of what he was going to do in Chicago. And that was his plan. And before the church ever got to its first meeting, the whole thing imploded, and the church fell apart. So Mark Batterson completely failed in Chicago but a few people called him to come to Washington, D.C. So in 1996, Mark Batterson comes to National Community Church, wasn't National Community Church yet, but came to Washington, D.C. A handful of people invited him to come, and their first Sunday, I think it was January 6, 1996, there was a massive snowstorm in Washington, D.C., and only three people showed up. And that was Mark, his wife, and his little girl. And that was his beginning. Well, he kept preaching the gospel, kept loving Jesus, kept preaching the gospel. And what happened was uh, he got uh, 30 people, then he got 100 people, then he got 250 people. And now National Community Church has seven locations that meets thousands of people, reaches thousands of people in Washington D.C, because Mark Batterson came out of a point of failure. And after leaving that failure, came to Washington, D.C., and it literally is changing that city for the glory of the Lord. Aren't you grateful that God is doing things even in Washington, D.C.? Can you say a big amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> Mark Batterson started, he walked by one day, he walked by a, a, uh, an old uh, cement crack house where they used to sell crack in, and he looked at it, and he said, you know what, this is in Washington, D.C. After he failed in Chicago... He walked by that crack house, and he thought that would, make a great, that would make a great coffee house, a place to sell coffee so he could meet the culture there in Washington. So he started Ebenezer Coffee Shop there, and it has been incredibly successful, and it's earned, it earns about a million dollars a year, and every penny from the coffee's profits go to uh, support missions around the world. And so what is in cor- incredibly in- important to me about Mark Batterson is that he came out of a point of failure and after that failure what that was the preparation that God had to do the greatest things in his life often our greatest failures are the predecessors to our greatest successes and sometimes you just you just you got to keep doing it. You got to keep being faithful. You got to keep doing what God's told you to do. You got to be consistent. You got to be persistent. You can't give up. You can't quit. You got to keep doing what God has called you to do. And Paul, here's the great great thing about uh, Acts chapter eighteen. Look at verse uh, Acts chapter eighteen verse one. And we're almost done here this morning. Acts chapter eighteen, verse one says this: After this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Say that with me. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. You know what you could have done after Athens? He could have quit. He could have quit. He could have given up. But after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. He didn't quit. He went to Corinth. I remember one time I was uh, hunting. I was uh, white-tailed deer hunting one, one fall. I was out in the, uh, the woods. I was in my deer stand, and the reason that I hunt uh, occasionally is I just love to be out in the outdoors. It's just so beautiful, and you see the red foxes, and you see the, the squirrels. It's just a great thing to do, and I was hunting in this stand, and then I saw this uh, I saw this, uh, this doe that came and came into the field, and uh, I'd seen earlier that a buck had made its mark right in the field there, and it was a little, little personal ad there for, for the doe to come, and, uh, and so he made his little mark there, and I knew that was there, and that doe came and stood right on top of that, that uh, marked spot. He's, she's waiting for the buck, and the buck didn't show. And so she just went off in the woods there. So I'm sitting there eating my tootsie rolls, which is another thing why I hunt. I like to eat tootsie rolls while I'm hunting. So I'm eating my tootsie rolls. I'm having a good time. And then all of a sudden, this big buck comes around the corner. The big buck comes around the corner. He comes up to that to that uh, mark, and he's looking for the doe. She's gone. She's Enough of you, buddy. She's gone. And so she. he's standing there looking for the looking for the, uh, for the doe, and, and uh, so I bring up my gun. I mean, my heart's pounding, you know. It's a big buck, you know, and I'm, like, really pumped up, and I, I, I aim, and I squeeze the trigger, and bam! And a big uh, bunch of dirt came up behind the deer. I missed the deer completely. <laughs> so the deer was a little confused. He just walked a few steps toward me. He's coming toward me. I thought, oh, my gosh, another chance. So I, I pulled up again and squeezed the trigger, Bam! big dust of, uh, behind the deer again, missed the deer again, and I have one more shot, one more shot. And so the deer is coming. This deer is suicidal. I don't know what's going on. This deer is coming toward me, and it's still coming, and I take another shot, and I miss the deer, and my, my barrel is empty. So I got two more shells and put them in there, and the deer is still coming, and I shot the fourth time. The fourth time I shot... And I, I missed the deer. I missed the deer the fourth time. And the, and, the, and, the, and the fifth time, the deer turns to walk in the woods, and the deer is saying, kill me, please kill me, please. He turns sideways, and I squeezed the trigger, and instantly the deer was in deer paradise. And uh, I finally got that deer. And you know what's important is, you know, I think Paul could have left, he could have left Athens and he could have given up. He could have refused to try anymore. But he goes. He goes to Corinth, and he's there for a year and a half. And he plants this great church in Corinth. And this church is incredibly successful. It's incredibly uh, relevant, and it makes an incredible difference. Uh, in, in that community. And while he's there, he meets a couple people. He meets Aquila and Priscilla. It says in verse 2, uh, at, he meets, uh, it says there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had free, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudus, Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So we have in this, uh, in this situation, we have Paul is coming at a, at a low moment. He's, he's low, uh, in fact, he says this about when he, comes to, when he comes to Corinth. He says that I came to you uh, in weakness. He says in, in, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Here's his attitude when he comes to Corinth. He's failed in Athens. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you, verse 3, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So when he comes to he comes to Corinth, he's broken, he's low, he's failed at Athens, he, he's, he's empty, and he comes to Corinth and is empty attitude is not he's not cocky he's not arrogant he's not proud he's humble and he needs the lord to help him and he comes in weakness and it says he says later in one of his books to in 2 Corinthians actually perfect strength is made perfect in weakness and so in paul's weakness in paul's emptiness in paul's failure that's when God uses him, and God makes a difference in his life. He's humbled. Paul is never the same after he leaves Athens. This week, I started uh, irrigating my lawn, and uh, every year, I have my, uh, my neighbor, Jeff, he cleans out my, uh, my, my the pipes for my irrigation system, blows them out in the fall, and so they're empty through the, uh, through this, you know, the winter season, and so this week, I... Uh, I opened up the, the little valve, and, and I, I love to do it. It's next to, the, uh, it's next to the hot water heater in the garage. I opened the little door there, and I leaned down, and I got this blue, blue knob. And I turned, when I turned the blue knob on, I can hear the water rushing into those empty pipes. You get to hear it just rush through those pipes. And, of course, you start your irrigation system, and the water comes out and begins to water the lawn. Paul has come to Corinth empty. He's empty. He's broken. He's low. He's at the nadir moment of his life. He's failed at Athens. He's been beat at Philippi. He's been caused a riot in Thessalonica. Berea, people chased him out of town. He goes to Athens and they make fun of him. And when he comes to Corinth, he's empty. He's weak. He said, I came to you in weakness and fear and great trembling. And because he's weak and because he's broken, the Holy Spirit can fill him and use him. And that's what happens to Paul in Corinth. So when you think about your life, your failures, my failures, our weaknesses, our struggles, our, our, our Athens experience are all the moments that God uses to get us to a place where he can really use us and really make a difference in our life. Have you gone through something tough? Have you gone through something difficult? Have you gone through an experience that's left you whirling? What you've gone through is God's preparation, God's preparation to do his greatest work in you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning and just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you in weakness. His strength is made perfect. In weakness, his strength is made perfect. Lord, we thank you for Paul's persistency that he didn't quit. Lord, many people going through COVID felt like quitting, but these wonderful folks are here this morning loving Jesus, still serving Jesus, been through the fire, been through the test, and here they are in weakness, fear, and trembling, and the Holy Spirit is gonna fill them in a new and fresh way. We thank you for what you're doing in our life lord we thank you for it in jesus name just say this with me lord god i give my emptiness to you i give my weakness to you that you can fill me with your power and your grace jesus name amen and amen
0: thank you so much for joining us on the base Shore podcast i want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let jesus do the deep work that only he can do A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.